Well, I get the privilege to introduce our speaker today, Jason Romano. I met Jason uh, a couple years ago as a guest on his podcast, and I was blown away by Jason. He had just left ESPN, and in his world, he was at the pinnacle, he was at the top, but he sensed a greater call, a greater opportunity to align his passions with ministry. And I think now, if you can find out what you're passionate about, and you can point that to our culture as a way of ministry, you've got the best job in the room. Jason is also a speaker and an author. I'm, I'm holding his book, Live to Forgive. He's going to talk about that today. If you're interested and you want to know more, this will take you in depth. I would also encourage you to, to download his podcast. It's the Sports Spectrum Podcast. You can hear anything from NFL athletes, NBA athletes, to Indiana Wesleyan coaches. So would you join me in welcoming Jason Romano? Good morning, Indiana Wesleyan. How are you guys doing today? This is awesome. I love young people. This is so cool being here. What an honor. Uh, Indiana Wesleyan has uh, an amazing group of people leading this place. And uh, I've been here for about less than a day really now. And just in that time, I've been so blessed to meet everybody that I've met and uh, had a chance to talk to some of the student athletes last night and a few people there, uh, share some ESPN stories. Uh, you had your chance. We're not going to talk ESPN this morning, unfortunately, uh, but hopefully I'll run into you guys later and we'll be able to talk some more. But we're going to get a little deeper, a little heavier, if you will, um, and talk about a very difficult topic, which is forgiveness. And uh, something that I've learned over the years that even those who are the most spiritual Christian people you'll ever meet struggle with forgiveness because we're human. And because we've been hurt, it's happened to all of us on some level, somebody has hurt you, and it's hard for us to move along and forgive and let go. We're going to start with some scripture, and we're going to go to Ephesians 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, and it says, Paul speaking here, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another. This is verse 32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It says let all bitterness. Not some. Not every once in a while. Not if it's, you know, not too hard on you. It says all. We have to let it all go. And be put away from us. And then it says forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Easier said than done on many levels. For 40 years, I struggled with forgiving my father. My dad was an alcoholic, he is an alcoholic. Uh, my parents divorced when I was six. I grew up in a little town outside of Albany, New York. And uh, I had a good childhood, but I had a missing piece in my life for many, many years, and that was the void of a father, of a sober father who was there for me, I should say. My dad was around but he was not in a place where he should have been. And I had trouble because I had a very confusing relationship with my dad for many years and, and could not let go and could not forgive him for the pain that he had caused myself, my two brothers, my mom, my wife even after I got married, my grandparents. So many family members were hurt by the behavior 
uh, by the words that were spoken, by the things that were said and done by this man. And I had, even after I became a Christian, about 16, 17 years ago, still struggled with forgiving him for the pain that he had caused. And forgiveness is hard, right? Everyone has struggled, as I mentioned, with forgiveness. Everyone here on some level, some might be really, really deep wounds here. Someone really hurts you. Maybe it was a parent like my dad for me. And some were maybe just some friends that said some things that they shouldn't have said. And yet it's still very hard to move forward when those that we love hurt us. It's very difficult. Some of us have been hurt really bad. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. It is hard, very, very hard to let that go and to forgive. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote that I think makes a good point on this. And it says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Isn't that the truth? When we watch someone forgive, when we see a story, you might even say this about my story today, when you see a story of someone who's been able to forgive, like that is beautiful, that is awesome, I love that. And then I say, well now you gotta practice that in your life. And you're like, not right now, I'm good. Not quite. When we have to put that into practice in our own lives, man, how hard is that? It is difficult, it's wonderful to watch, It's a lot easier said than done when it comes to our own lives and our own situations. Because when you talk to someone to be like, that's great what you're going through, but you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain that's been caused in my life. And I get it. I totally get it. I understand. The idea of something like this, like forgiving, it always seems great. But executing on it, man, that's when it becomes really difficult. And when we look in the Bible, when we look into the scriptures, and we look at the model of Jesus, he talks a lot about forgiveness in the Bible, a lot. And he is, what is he? He's the master storyteller with his parables, isn't he? He's the master storyteller, the parable of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. I mean, these are amazing stories still to this day that we can read and be like, yep, I can put that into my life. I can implement that into my life. The master storyteller. And then we go to Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And I'm going to encourage you guys to read the rest of this after we're done. Because I don't have time to get into all of it. But Jesus here is hanging out. Peter comes over to him and says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? This is Matthew 18, 21 and 22. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I don't know if you guys are math wizards, but that's 490 times. So in my little brain, I'm thinking, okay, once we get to 491, I'm good. I don't have to forgive anymore. I'm good. And when you really go a little deeper into what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that every single time that we are hurt, that somebody wrongs us, Every single time that we're supposed to forgive. Every single time. From a human perspective, that is crazy. Because it goes back to what I just said, right? Some of you are going to be like, you don't understand what happened to me. The pain that was caused in my life. But, not my words, 
It's Jesus speaking every single time he says. And I truly believe now that I've learned this and I've studied this and I've uh, written a book about forgiveness and kind of gone through what it means to forgive, that if we truly don't forgive, if we don't learn to let go, then we don't understand what God's forgiveness is truly about. We don't. God hates unforgiveness in our lives. He hates it. Because what it does is it causes seeds of bitterness to grow inside of us. Dissension, anger, poisons us. It holds us down in bondage. It's like a disease that spreads. It's really, really not healthy. And he hates it. With my dad, that unforgiveness kept building up and up as I got older into high school and into college and into real life and starting my career, my broadcasting career. The, it felt like it got worse and worse and worse with my dad. And his alcoholism and his verbal abuse just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I think about pillar moments in my life. And you guys aren't quite there yet, but you got a couple that have happened already or you're going to have a couple. In fact, there's more than a couple because I've met a few married couples last night, which is pretty awesome, and one that's expecting a child, which is even more cool. But these are the pillar moments. For me in my life, my pillar moments were graduating high school. That was a big deal for me, to graduate high school. I struggled in school. Then it was to graduate college. Holy cow, I graduated college? Are you kidding me? Big moments. Those two moments right there are ones that should be celebrated with your entire family. And in both of those instances at my graduations, my dad was not present because he was either in a rehab or he was on a binge, drinking pretty badly. So no father around for those pillar moments. The next pillar moment for me was when I got married. It'll be 19 years in about 10 days, November 13th, that I've been married. My wife's gonna be so happy that you guys clapped for that. 19 years, that's crazy. Pillar moment, right? Big deal to get married. And we wrestled with inviting my father, who was still struggling then with his drinking. Do I want my dad at my wedding? And of course I wanted my dad at my wedding. Who wouldn't? And I invited him. And I can't go into the whole story. It's just too long for all this. But I invited him. Four weeks later, he went on a binge, and I had to uninvite him from my wedding. I couldn't do that to my wife. I couldn't take the chance of ruining her day. And ladies, when you get married, it is your day. We're just here to help. Get out of the way, right guys? Get out of the way. Let them have their day. And if my dad came and he was wasted or drunk or did something stupid, that's on me. So, I, and my wife was great. She's like, whatever you think is best, you do. But I had to make sure that I had to protect her. And again, pillar moment, my dad wasn't there. Four or five years later, after going through some difficulties trying to get pregnant, my wife gets pregnant. We have our daughter in June of 2004, Sarah, our miracle child. Best day of my life in many ways, becoming a dad. I wanted to become a dad so badly. And the book, actually, we go into a little detail about the reasons why, a lot of it having to do with my own dad. But my dad wasn't around. My dad was in a rehab center in Utica, New York, still struggling with his alcohol, in and out of rehabs all the time missing the birth of his grandchild. These are pillar moments in my life, guys, and I had my dad nowhere to be found here. Now, by the way, side, side note, ladies, we all need to talk after, because a 14-year-old daughter, help, 
please help me. Because I hope it gets better when, they get to, when she gets to your age. I think it's going to. But right now, that ninth grade year, you all remember ninth grade? Holy cow. Like, what is happening in my life right now? I love this kid, by the way. She's the best. But it's just a transition period that is very difficult to walk through. So let's talk after, okay? Deal? Anyways. But God hates that unforgiveness. And I had this bitterness inside of me for so long. I really did. And I was angry at him. Now, I had to move on with my life and start, my, my, you know, start a family and be a husband and a dad and then my career at ESPN and be you know, focused on things like that. But I was able to kind of move on from the story and the situation that I was going through with my dad. But at the same time, it was still there. We talk about a lot in the book about a thing called boxes in the attic. We all have these boxes in the attic where we put things in, we store them away, we put them up in the attic, and we might not look, them, look at them for years and years. But guess what? They're still there. My dad was a box in my attic. I put him in there and I put him away, hoping that I'd never have to pull that box out, but it was still there. And eventually I had to open that box and address it and look at it and deal with it. And then I became a Christian in 2001 and started walking with the Lord and understanding what God had done for me and understanding about salvation and understanding about forgiveness, at least I thought. And I love the idea of forgiveness until I had to practice it. And I couldn't do it. But I want you to understand something, guys, here. When we forgive someone, when we put forgiveness into practice, it is not about the other person. That's a misnomer. That's something that's, that people have a perception of, that when we forgive, we're letting someone off the hook. And that's just not true. Look what Lewis Smedes here says, the author and theologian. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. It's like Rocky Balboa just hit me right upside the face, man, with a right hook. Boom. Because ain't that the truth. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Remember, when we don't forgive, we're the ones that suffer, not the other person. We want vengeance. God always wants forgiveness. And think about this, we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive. Never more like Jesus than when we forgive. Look at what he walked through. He knows he's lived forgiveness. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was lied to, he was gossiped. He was abused. He was betrayed. He knows, and yet he still chose to forgive. As he's standing there on the cross, dying, about to, about to say goodbye, he's looking at the people who put him up there, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He's actually telling the people, he's telling God to forgive the people who are putting him up on a cross. That's insane. Are we going to do that someday if somebody does that to us? I don't know. I don't think I could do that. That would be very difficult. But he knows. Luke 23, 34 says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Read that when you're done here. Luke 23. Unbelievable show of grace and forgiveness by Jesus. For my dad's situation as I got older and older and I started having a faith and walking with the Lord, and my career at ESPN was going great, things were going well, my daughter's getting older, we're in sports, awesome time, my dad seemed to get worse and worse. 
into his 40s, into his 50s, into his early 60s, still struggling with alcohol. By himself, nobody around, just struggling. And then another thing kicks in for him, it was depression. And when you combine alcohol and depression, it's a recipe for disaster. And for my dad, it was a big time recipe for disaster. And as he got older and older, the relationship with me, it was a roller coaster because I really thought there were times when we were going to get better and we could have good conversations. We could spend some time together. When he was sober, he's the most pleasant man you'll ever meet. When he's drunk, not, not so much. And in 2013, it kind of hit a boiling point when this man uh, decided that he didn't want to live anymore. And at 62 years old, he was at a point in his life where he just didn't want to be around. He, he was ready to end it. The depression was too much. The drinking was just killing his body. And he was finished. He was done. And so one day in June of 2013, I get a phone call. It's from a nurse at the psych center, the psych ward in Albany Medical Center in Albany, New York. And she says, Mr. Romano, I want you to know your father's here. I said, okay. And I was kind of numb. No call was going to shock me anymore with him. I don't know why. It's pretty horrible to say, but it's kind of the truth. And I get this call, and I, I hear this lady on the other end tell me that my father had tried to end his life the night before. He took a bunch of pills, was done. Thankfully, he survived. And they got to him quick enough. They were able to revive him and save him. And, and he was resting comfortably, as they said, in the psych center of Albany Medical Center. Psych ward, I should say. So I get this call, and I don't know what to do with this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to even say that I really had no feeling. I didn't even, like, there was no emotion. I wasn't crying. Like, why is this guy doing Like, there was nothing. I was so sort of hard in my heart, hard and hard, I had a hardened heart and just didn't really want to have any kind of emotion at all. And she asked me, the nurse, if I wanted to speak to him at that moment. I said, no, I, don't, I really don't. I said, is he okay? And she's like, yes, he's resting comfortably. I said, okay, thank you. And for about another week, I had to sit on this and process this and figure out what to do with that. And so that's really the moment when I started thinking about my relationship with my dad and to the point where if I was supposed to live my life as a man of faith, as a person who put his faith and trust in Jesus, then I had to learn how to forgive. And it took for me that moment when my dad was in his worst spot for me to start pondering this whole idea of forgiveness. A week later, my dad calls me. And my dad and I, our relationship was mostly phone calls, just to give you an idea here. We didn't spend a lot of time in person together for once I moved to Connecticut for my job. And he calls me, and I never heard a more lifeless, broken, empty voice on the other end of a phone line ever than I heard on that phone call with my dad. And he's calling, and I don't know why he's calling. Maybe it's just he wanted to hear my voice, whatever. And I, when I heard that voice on the other end, that's the moment for me when I made a choice, the difficult choice. And I just told my dad two things. I said, Dad, I am so sorry for what you're going through, and I forgive you for all that's been done. 
And two things happened for me at that time. Number one, I finally had this thing in my life for my father that I'd never had before, and it was called empathy. For so many of us, when we're hurt, we don't see the other side. We are so caught up in how we feel and what's been happening to us and what's been done to us. That's what we care about. And yet, I never looked at the other side and thought, you know what, my dad's probably not happy about the state that he's in in his life right now. So I saw empathy for this man who was broken and almost on the verge of death. And so I just told him, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. I never said that for all these years. And then finally, I just had to make the choice and forgive him. And you know what, what, the, what the reason why I actually was able to forgive him was? Because I finally saw my dad in the same way that Jesus sees my dad. For so many years, I saw myself up here as a man who worked at ESPN, who had a wife and a daughter and a great life. And I saw my dad down here as a broken man who lost his job and lost two wives and just was an absolute mess of a drunk, alcoholic man. And then I look at through the lens of Christ and all of this evens out. Because he sees my dad in the exact same way he saw me. And in the exact same way he sees all of you guys. As his child. And that's powerful. And that's humbling. Because from a worldview, we put people on pedestals and line them up and say, he's here and he's there and she's there and they're there. And then God says, no, you're all here. That's why I sent my son. You're all right here. The good news is, because there's not always good news in, in, in happy endings and stories like this. Reconciliation is not always possible when we forgive. Some people have been hurt so badly that it's just impossible to repair the relationship. Forgiveness is always expected, but reconciliation isn't always possible. For my dad, I'm very fortunate because I've been able to reconcile with him. And since that day that he checked into the rehab center five years ago, five and a half years ago now, don't you know he hasn't had a drink since? Since. Five and a half years he's been sober. And we have a picture of him with myself right up there. And uh, that was at our book release party in January. And I wrote a book about... <laughs> about the bad things that my dad had done in, to me in my life. And you know who the first person was that said you need to write this book? My dad. He said, if you can help one person, you need to tell the story and you need to write the book. And that's why I'm telling you the story today. Not to get claps and all this other stuff, but because I know that there are people in here who are struggling with forgiveness. Because it's a human issue that we all go through. And my dad and I have reconciled. Listen, my dad's a strange guy right now. I mean, he's just a weird dude, but he's sober. And our relationship isn't perfect. He'll never be able to kind of be the dad that I needed when I was your guy's age. But he's in my life, and he's sober, and he gets to hang out with his grandchildren once in a while. We get to talk sports a lot, and that's cool. So it's better, and I'm grateful for that. I really am. But again, I understand that not every relationship is repairable. It's not. But the forgiven forgive, guys. The forgiven forgive. And we've all been forgiven. And when we do forgive, hear me out on this. This is one of the last things I'm going to say. We do for, when we do forgive, it allows love to replace hurt. And bitterness and anger. It fills those wounds with healing when we choose to forgive. 
And it is a choice. You can choose to stay in bondage and bitterness. You can. I made that choice for 40 years. But I'm telling you, if you're going to call yourselves a Christian and you're going to accept Christ into your life, then we need to forgive every single time. Because that's what Jesus did for us. We must extend that forgiveness to others if we're to be called Christ-like. So as the worship band starts playing here, I want to challenge you guys to two questions. One may be the easiest answer for you today. Have you been forgiven by Jesus? Have you asked him into your life as your Lord and Savior? I bet you many of you have. Saw some people stand up there worshiping. It was awesome to see. The future is in awesome hands when I see you guys there. I really, I'm excited about that. But maybe you haven't asked for forgiveness from the Lord. And today that can be that day. Here's the tough question though. Who do you have to forgive? Who do you have to forgive? And here's the even tougher thing to do. You gotta tell them. And that's why it was so hard for me for many years, I think, because I actually had to actually say this to my father. We can talk about how we've forgiven our hearts, and we, many of us have, but sometimes we actually have to let the other person know, even though it's not about them. Have you been forgiven? And who do you have to forgive?